Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. God's been really stirring some things in my heart. I, I really feel the what, one thing that's really strong in God's heart in this time, and I feel it's a strong for us as over church, overflow church family, but I also feel it strong for his heart, for the body of Christ at large, and to see this happen in the world. And that's the key word I've been saying the last few weeks is unity. I really feel like unity is really strong in God's heart. And I think it's strong in his heart as a, as a core value of the kingdom of God. It's a core value of family, and he's a, God's a family God. He's our father. But, and and you've got to have unity if you have a healthy family. Um, but I, I feel like in this season, it's even more of a prominent need because we look around and we see that unity's actually been disrupted big time. And, and it's, it's been, it's in the news, it's disrupted, obviously, just around our nation. But I have to say, I think it's not hard to recognize that it's, it's not super strong in the body of Christ. Okay, and I'm not saying that judgmentally, but I, I, I just feel that God has more for us in, in the knitting of the parts of the body and the and joining the joints and the, and the piece of the body together with that one heart and one mind. I, I feel like we haven't seen the power of the Pentecost unity yet like God wants to do it, okay? And, and I, I believe that God, I, I think we all could agree with this, which is a big reason why we're a church together, that we believe that God has amazing plans for an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an end time revival. And, and here's the thing. I don't believe that God is going to entrust the, the gra- how do I say, the, the magnitude of the weight of his glory to a broken body. I, I believe that he needs to see a body of people, the unity, hearts and minds and lives connected with one another so that collectively we have the ability to sustain and carry the weight of what he wants to pour out. Okay? And, and I, I believe that if he would put on us the weight of the power that he wants us to have, but, but we carry it with broken and fractured relationships and brokenness in the church where it's, there's not that, that unity no one person can withhold it the way that God wants to pour it out, all right? And I mean, one just picture I'm thinking of that just came to my mind right now is a, is a man named William Brenham in the, I, I forgot the years, but I think it was around the 1950s or so, somewhere in the mid-century of the 1900s, William Brenham was, was an individual man who walked in a, an incredible anointing and power of God and, and he was, he, you saw signs and wonders that impacted multitudes of people. But, um, but if you read this, his story, 
he was, it was flowing greatly when he was connected with other people and there's accountability and there's relationship and it wasn't all about him, but it was about, about them working together as a team. But when he decided to go independent and, and not put his honor where the team is, is when he started going wayward and that power that was on him actually crushed him as an individual. Do you guys hear my heart? God is very gracious in giving us what we can handle and he sees the, the health of the infrastructure of family and connection and unity. He knows what level it is and he knows what measure he can pour out by how much it can get stewarded in right relationship. Do you guys hear me on this? If God sees that there's not the strength, the, fu the fundamental foundational strength of unity that he's looking for, he's not going to pour out more than we can handle because he knows it would crush us. But he also believes in us. He believes in the body of Christ. He believes in the church so much that he has already promised, and God does not take back his word, he's promised the end time outpouring. But he's, he's going to do it on a healthy bride. Do you guys hear my heart? A healthy bride. How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever been to Redding, California before? It's okay if you haven't. But if you have, I'm curious if you've been there before. Redding is an amazing place. That's where Bethel Church is. And by the way, Bethel Church is not the only amazing, healthy kingdom church in Reading. It's just the one that most people know about who's not from there. But Reading is an amazing place. And if you go to Bethel, and you, a lot of people will say when they, that you can feel an open heavens when you enter the atmosphere of the campus. And it's a real thing. There's an open heavens there. There's a, there's a blessing. There's a grace. There's a, it, it's like heaven is manifested in the spirit realm of that environment. It's a real thing. It wasn't always like that on that campus. The reason it's like that is because it's been cultivated. Okay? And, and the, the cool thing about Reading is people from around the whole region and even Southern California have found Reading to be a place that there's a special atmosphere of it. Not just Bethel, but the city of Reading. One time Jessica and I and the kids were at Whiskey Town Lake swimming and I was talking to a guy that was out there and he, was, he and his family were visiting and he was just telling me every year that this is their best place that they ever go for vacation. I'm like, well, why? Of all places. And he said, because it feels like an open heaven here. He wasn't a Christian. But he senses something because something has shifted in the atmosphere there. I want to tell you the reason why Bethel and the other churches of Reading are experiencing the presence of God and the power of God so powerfully is because of years and years of cultivating an atmosphere that's come from a place of surrender to the Lord, intercessions and prayers, and unity. 
And when, when Bill Johnson and Benny Johnson moved to Reading, or like years before Bethel became the revival that it became, Reading was actually known to be a place that the atmosphere of that place was demonic and there was witchcraft and new age. And that's what dominated the atmosphere of that city back then. How many of you know that when you see what God can do, you can look at that and say, that's not how it has to stay? Amen? Because when you know what God can do in heaven and you're connected with heaven, you can actually release that into an atmosphere and shift it. But I want to tell you, it generally is not going to happen at the snap of a finger. It's going to take consistency. It's going to take, it's going to take embracing that reality no matter what comes against you. And, and keep praying and keep believing and keep releasing it. Keep banding together with your brothers and sisters going after the same thing. It's going to shift. And in time it has shifted. And now... I'm not saying Reading's per Reading is perfect. There's a lot of problems there, but the atmosphere has shifted big time. And, and the churches in Reading are united. They love each other. They honor each other. They love getting together and, and, and worshiping God together. Every Good Friday, the churches of the city get together and worship the Lord and honor Jesus for the sacrifice. That's pretty cool. But it takes that kind of stuff to see the principalities bow to Jesus. Amen? I'm going to talk to you this morning through the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of places in Ephesians that I feel like I need to bring to our attention today because I, I really feel like God wants to do something powerful. <clears throat> Ephesians is a book that was written by Paul to the churches, the, the saints of the city of Ephesus and the surrounding region. And Paul, as, as you guys all would know, I think, that Paul used to be a very religious man, but he got radically transformed by the, the grace of Jesus Christ. And God broke off of him the shackles of religion and of racism too. And, and God gave him a mandate he gave him a call to take the gospel out from his home people and to take it abroad to every tribe, every nation, every people that he could. And so, how many of you know that Paul was not a racist? <laughs> Are you guys with me this morning? Paul was not a racist. He was called to take the gospel to every people that he could outside of Jerusalem. And, and so... He didn't see people by the race as much as he did. He saw them by the Christ in them or the Christ that will be in them. And the uniting of them together makes the body of Christ together. And in the book of Ephesians, there's lots of references to racism being broken, even though it doesn't use that word. It is something that, that he needed to get across to the people that the Jews often in that time would separate themselves from the, what they called the Gentiles, which was anybody that wasn't Jew, and there's kind of the separation thing. But Paul had the revelation of Jesus Christ that it's both and. The kingdom is for both and. And so he needed to 
focus on the and, while Peter is going to focus on on the, the home people. Does that make sense? In the city of Ephesus, Paul went there, and he was there probably longer than other places that he spent his ministry time. And he was in Ephesus for three years. And while he was there, he preached in the synagogues first, and he found he made disciples. But the but he started getting persecuted, and they kicked him out. So his disciples wanted to go with him, and so he started teaching in a school by a, by a, that was led by a man named Tyrannus or Tyrannus, and and that guy let him speak in a school, teaching them how to live the kingdom of God, and he, he taught there for two years, raising up disciples, sending people out, and, the, and it was reported that they turned the world upside down. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Can you guys all hear me okay? Okay. Um, while he's there, the power of God intensifies so much that they're seeing miracles right and left. And the, and the anointing was so powerful on Paul that, that people would have him lay his hands on handkerchiefs and aprons so he could take that cloth and that they would heal people with it. And people even got delivered of demons just by touching a rag that he laid his hand on. Now that's some power. How many of you guys want to walk in that kind of power? Come on. And it's so powerful that, that demons came out of people by coming in contact with an anointing that transferred into this physical material. And there was other people who did not know Jesus, but they heard about Jesus through Paul. And they went around trying to cast demons out of people. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And, and there was this guy named Sceva who had seven sons who went out and they tried to deliver somebody of demons. And they said this, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And, and the, the demon and the man said... I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? How many of you know that the devil knows what kind of authority you walk in by how you live your life, by how connected you are with Jesus? He can see how much connection you have in Jesus. And if he doesn't see the, the power of Jesus in you, he's not going to be scared. And, and this demonized man jumped the seven sons and beat them up and ripped off all their clothes and they ran away naked. That's humiliating. All right? But in Acts 19, verse 17 through 20, it says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of Jesus was magnified. Come on, this is, this is revival. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I, I read one place that the price of those books could have valued up to probably around $15,000 of books that these people repented of and built a fire. 
Somewhere else, there's differing ideas. Somewhere else said that it actually was enough of 50,000 days of wages in that time. I don't know which it is, but either one's a lot of money. That's a lot of repentance. Amen? Do you guys know that God's dream for revival is going to include repentance? It's going to include people realizing that God, that Christianity is not just, I, I do what's comfortable, but, but instead it's, I have a, revere, a, rev, sorry, a reverence, a fear of the Lord that I cannot live the same way I lived before. I've got to yield and surrender anything that I have in my life that's not what pleases him. That's what God's wanting to see in revival is people who are says, Lord, I need you so bad, I will surrender everything that I have so I can have you. Amen? And, and in this revival, this is three years in Ephesus that Paul's training these people. He, he, he plants a church there and, and he's building a people. He's building a family, a kingdom unified family. All right? And the principality of the area got stirred and, and he got persecuted and he had to leave. But I want to tell you something. Do you think Paul was afraid of the principality? No. Paul knew where the highest power is. All right? And I'm just going to stop here for a second and say this there's principalities around America right now that are getting stirred up, all right? But should we be scared? No, here's why. We know where the highest, highest power is, all right? And greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, amen? And I wanna take us into Ephesians, and if you have Bibles or you have a, a Bible app on your phone, I'd love for you to, Open it up so you can follow along with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read several different passages in Ephesians, and I want to ask you to grace me with, with the, your attention span as I, as I read through several verses here. All right? Ephesians chapter 1, this is one of my favorite books. In the end of this chapter, it's talking about Paul, Paul's praying that God will release to the people a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of their understanding would become open so they could see things that they could not understand with natural understanding. It only comes by the revealing of the spirit of God. And, and I want to pray this for you guys right now and whoever's listening on the, on the recording. Lord, I pray that you will release to all of us an increased measure of the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened and that we will see kingdom truth. We'll see spiritual realities that we might not be aware of in full capacity. And, and Lord, I pray that you'll let the right heart be transferred into each person in this message so that the wrong message doesn't come through in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to tell you guys something. I am not a, I'm not a devil-focused person. And, and if you've been with us for any measure of time, I've not talked about the devil very much at all. 
And that's on purpose because he does not deserve our attention. But we need to also not be ignorant of the devil's schemes and we need to understand who's, behind, who's the puppet master behind some things that are happening. Do you want to help me preach? Come here, if you're up here, you've got to help me preach. What do you want to say? Um, the devil is so stupid, wicked, and he's super mean, and he also tries to destroy things, and that's scary. <laughs> Are you scared of the devil, David? No. No, you're not. <laughs> that's right. No fear in my boy. All right. <laughs> so I, if, you, if you would pay attention that however many dozens and dozens of sermons I've, I've given, I've talked about the devil about this much, that's on purpose, and I want you to know that is a reflection of how much attention I think he needs. But he does need this much because we need to know who the puppet master is behind some things. You guys hear me on that? At the end of Ephesians 1, but we're not going to focus on the devil. We're going to focus on Jesus and you and me. We're going to put things in contrast. So, so Paul's praying that God would reveal to you. And, and the one thing that I want to focus on that we need revelation of is in verse 20. It says, it's talking about the mighty power of God, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Everybody say, raised from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Everybody say enthroned in heavenly places. Where's Jesus at? No, where is Jesus at? He's in the heavenly places on his throne. Amen? I, I, I kind of led you guys astray there. You thought you were still repeating. All right. He's enthroned in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Every principality and power and might and dominion, this is talking about spiritual forces. It's talking about demonic powers that, that have reign and rulership in regions and locations. All right? But guess what? That does not need to scare us because Jesus was raised above them. All right? He was raised above them. He's raised above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. How many of you guys could agree that the name of Jesus is above all names? How many of you can agree that, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? And, and Jesus is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's, he's preeminent and he's superior to all other powers, all other names. And it says that he put, he, he put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. That means Jesus is above all things. And he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Whoa. He's the head over all things to the church. So Jesus, who's been lifted above all principalities and powers and dominions and every name that is named, 
He's above them all. And he's become the head of the church. And he's given all this to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One of the devil's biggest lies that he's tried to sell Christianity is that the church is not as important as we used to think it is. Yeah, let's laugh at that. I want to tell you that the church is crucial to God. The church is important, of utmost importance to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus, who is lifted above every principality and power and dominion that's on this earth, he's actually expecting and entrusting and believing in his church to be the one who carries him and his authority on this earth. Amen? And, and I'm going into chapter 2 now because it's, it's still flowing, but it's shifting into another, another perspective now. Jesus was elevated, all right? But now he says, and you he made alive. Everybody say, resurrected. If you're in Christ, you've been resurrected, all right? You, you were once dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. I want to tell you that there's the course of this world. The world has a way and it has a system, has a spirit about it that wants us to live like it. But Jesus, is, he's saved us and separated from that spirit of the world. And we once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. All right, it's talking about Satan and his demonic kingdom and the principalities that live in the air. That's what we've taught about in weeks past about the second heaven realm. They, they, they hang out in the second heaven realm and it says that he's the prince of the power of the air. And so he actually is the one who's behind a lot of the things that are happening of the course of this world. And, and, and I want to say this. A lot of the things that don't look like God's kingdom on this earth are actually motivated and inspired by principalities and powers of the air. Okay? I'm going I'm to move on. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's coming from that prince of the air, the principality among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. Everybody say, he resurrected me. Say it again, he resurrected me. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together. Everybody say, he raised me up. He raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, He's, I, I sit together with Jesus. So where's Jesus at? Heavenly places sitting on his throne. Amen? 
And he's above every principality and power and dominion, and he's put all things under his feet. So if we're in Christ, and we've been raised with him, and we've been elevated with him in him, and we're seated with him, he has actually put us as his body in that place that is above that second heaven realm. So the, the second heaven realm where the prince, of the, power, the prince of the power of the air, the principalities, the powers and dominions, if we keep ourselves in Christ, we're actually ascended above them and their powers. Amen? Are you guys doing all right? Are you sure? I want to say this, that Jesus, who, who's ascended in heaven, he put all things under his feet, and he gave himself to be the head to the church. He's actually put us to be his body, to, to be his body on this earth that is connected with the head that's above all these things. And in Christ, we can actually live in an open heaven reality that is separated from that second heaven zone and that he's actually expects us as the unified body, the church, to, to release the authority of heaven into this earth and to, and to break down the principalities and the powers of the air. You guys okay? <laughs> Hope I'm not losing you yet. Help me, Jesus. Help us all. In, in chapter 2, yeah, that's what, I, never mind, that's where I was just at. If you go down to the end of this chapter, it, it refers to us as the household of God. It calls us the household of God. So we are, we are the family of God, and it, it talks about the unity of the, of the Gentiles and the Jews coming together. There's the unity, all right? In chapter 3, verse 10, I want you to read this with me. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I want to tell you that God is revealing the wisdom and the fullness of his kingdom to the principalities and the powers of the air, but he's doing it through the church. And God needs the church to be unified, to be one, one heart, one mind, centered in Christ, being the body of Christ, being healthy towards God, towards ourselves, towards one another, knitted together. And it, as the church, it's not so much that we're going around trying to fight the devil as much as it is that by being who we are, we are by nature expressing the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold has the connotation of multifaceted. It's like a diamond that light shines through it and different colors of light are refracted in every direction. He wants us to, as the collectiveness of one another Unified together, we get to express his glory in multi-faceted multi wisdom. And, and the principalities of the air see the glory of Christ reflected through its body. You guys hear me? 
try to stay with me because I, I really feel like this is important to God. I, I feel that the, the reason why God is wanting to highlight these things is because the enemy is doing everything he can to break up the church. Okay? We, we, we've seen it with the, with the quarantine. And, and the enemy wants to break up the church, but we can't let it happen. All right? If, he, if it doesn't work by that, he wants to break up the church by sowing dissension amongst people. Sowing offenses. Sowing frustrations that, that makes me not want to be around somebody because I don't feel comfortable around them. Or, or in order for me to have connection, it means we're going to have to work through something. So I'd rather avoid it than to face it because it might not be fun for a moment. But I want to say that Jesus needs us to do what we need to do to knit our hearts together with the body of Christ. Jesus needs us to make sure that our hearts are right with one another because he knows that the unity is where his glory is going to come in and be revealed and it's going to disarm the enemy. But he also knows that if the enemy can try to sow division amongst his people, then that multifaceted wisdom that could be displayed to the principalities is, is broken apart. You guys hear in my heart? This is important to God. If you read the rest of chapter 3 and it talks about the family of God and how we need to be grounded in love. And, and here's an amazing verse that we all love. It talks about how God wants to reveal to us how huge his love is for us. And in verse 20, one of our, all of our favorite verses, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. Isn't that a revival verse? that he can do more than you could dream of. And, and he's going to do it through the power that's at work within you. But it goes on to say, to him be glory in the church by Christ. To all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It, 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 the context of him doing all that we, beyond what we could ask or imagine according to that dunamis power, it's in the context of love. It's in the context of his glory being revealed in his church. And I want to tell you that God needs to see this unity. He needs to see love demonstrated amongst his people. And Jesus even said, they're going to know you by your love for one another. If, if, if people know us more by our political persuasion than by our love, we're in the wrong place. If people know us more by our, our passions and our hobbies or, or the things that rile us up than they know us by our love, something's not in its right place. You guys hear me? This is important to God. 
And, and then it flows right into chapter four. Paul didn't break his thought and start a new one because he says, I therefore, which means this next thought is connected with that unity in the church, is connected with God wanting to do more than you could ask or think. But we got to know what this next part is because he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness, and gentleness. Whoa, it's starting to get a little personal now. You mean God wants to bring glory? He wants to crush the devil. He wants to do more than we can ask or think, but, but now it's getting personal. This means I've got personal responsibility. But he's saying with all lowliness, all gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Oh man, you mean there's a price that we have to pay now to have unity, endeavoring or making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Whoa. You mean I've got responsibility? You mean, you mean when somebody offended me, I've got to try to work something out? I've got to still try to seek unity with them? I still have to try to find out how we can have a bond with one another in peace. I don't feel that peace right now. Oh, but, I, uh, but I'm required. This, these are not options. They're not good ideas. They're requirements to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jesus is looking at our hearts and, it, and if they're is brokenness or division amongst our brothers and sisters or anyone. He's actually expecting us to take responsibility, not waiting for somebody else to fix it, but me making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a hard attitude that says, I value you I value our connection more than whatever this difference is that's caused us a rift. And it proceeds, the verses proceed, it talks about unity and the body of Christ and many parts. And it goes in and it talks about how Jesus uh, raises up the fivefold ministries, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers as a gift to the church. And why? Why, why does he do this? It's so that we can raise up a healthy church. It's to, it's to raise it up. And it, and it says, um, verse 13, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus needs to see unity amongst his people. This is so important, and it, and it talks about how as one man, or as the bride of Christ, God's bringing, he's, he's knitting hearts together. He, he's, wanting to, he's wanting us to be ministers of reconciliation so that we can mend brokenness and bring unity and, and love people well, loving the other person more than our distaste for whatever bothers us. The, in that, Jesus is going to create this powerful, dynamic church that is so powerful that the principalities have no authority anymore. It shifts 
everything around in the spirit realm. There have been many places around the world where revival has broken out and, and you start to see over time trends and, and statistics that start getting better and better because, because they're going after the love, they're going after unity, they're going after praying and releasing the heavens everywhere they're at. And it might not happen instantaneously like we all expect it should, but over time, an atmosphere gets shifted. And you start seeing crime rates grow down. Come on. Now, I don't know what's going to happen politically in America over the next months and years. But what I can say is that if the body of Christ will rise up and be who it's supposed to be, we can still see the atmosphere shift and see the results of the kingdom of God take dominion. Amen? There goes my... my uh, fake bookmark. <laughs> but Jesus needs to see unity. Jesus wants to bring the domain of the kingdom of heaven in. And I, I'm not going to read it, but I was, I was reading in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel had been fasting for 21 days. And it says that this angel came to bring the message that he's praying for. But he said, I came the moment you started praying, but the prince of Persia stopped me and I was by myself battling him. But finally, Michael, the prince, he, he called him your prince. See, there's the prince of Persia, which was a demonic principality. But, but God has principalities too. And, and, and Daniel was standing strong for the kingdom of God. And God released the principality, Michael. He called him your prince. And, and he came and he, he opened it up so that he could come and release what he's supposed to bring. I want to tell you that God wants to shift the spirit realm. And where, where there might be demonic principalities inspiring crazy things happen in our world the principalities can shift. Have you ever noticed in, in Revelations chapter two and three, the letters written to the churches was not actually written to the churches, it was written to the angels of the churches. There's principalities, there's domains. And, and the Lord wants us to shift things so that we can see how heaven looks coming in. And, and it, the, the book just keeps going, talking about unity. It keeps talking about the, the bride of Christ. Chapter 5, it talks about husbands and wives loving each other properly. But it says, but it's actually about Jesus loving the bride. And there's that unity. And it teaches us how to, how to have healthy marriages, how to have healthy parenting relationships, how to have healthy working relationships. And it, this book is so clear that what heaven wants to bring to earth actually gets translated through relationship and healthy heart connections with one another. In chapter six, it goes into people's favorite warfare passage. I'm getting close to being done. Verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We need to remember that in this time. 
that our battle is not with people. It's not with people who, are, who have loud voices right now. Our battle is with principalities and powers against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, day, in the evil day and having done that, to stand, having done all to stand. And I'm not going to read through the armor of God because that's not my focal point. My focal point is that when it's talking about this warfare, you've got to see it in context with the whole book. He's talking about the bride of Christ. He's talking about the church. He's talking about unity. He's talking about that the church is going to be the one who displays the multifaceted wisdom of God to the principalities and the dominions. So together, we cover one another. Together, we, we look out for the other person and not just for me. We put ourselves out there to, to love each other, to cover each other, and to pray for each other, and to make sure that things are healthy and right. We're looking out for the interests and the needs of one another. And, and skip down to verse 18. Let me make sure it was 18. Yes. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All right, who are we supposed to be praying for continually? I will awkwardly stand here silent until I hear an answer. Who are we supposed to pray for continually? All the saints. So he's calling on us to be thinking about one another, to be praying for one another, covering one another. And as we do this, God's covering us with his presence and with his truth and with his kingdom and the armor of God covers us. But we gotta know that our unity is what's gonna crush Satan's kingdom in Christ. Amen? If we can have unity, we can shift a region. If we can have unity, we can shift the atmosphere of a city and a region. One heart, one mind under the domain of Christ. If we can function and live together knitted with right hearts and we're, we're seeking Christ together in his dominion, together as the church, principalities lose their power and God can bring in kingdom principalities that can shift it and bring revival. Are you guys okay? We, we want to see, see the climate change in America. We want to see it change in Indiana. It's got to change first with us. It's got to change. It's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with us putting ourselves into one another. Making every effort to keep the unity, the bonding of hearts and minds. Keep the unity of spirit with the bond of peace. If, there's, if peace has been broken, if, I, if, if something's wrong where I don't have peace with somebody, something might need to get worked out. I either need to release it to the Lord or it might require working it out relationally. But God is looking for this. 
And, and we're going to see it happen. I, I really believe this. And I, I just want to say to you guys, as a church, this is on God's heart. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know if people need to work through things or not, but I really feel like this is going to be on his heart for a while. Because, because we, need to, we need to really conform to the values of God to be people who are quick to seek unity. And I'm going to pray for us. I want to tell you something, guys. I, 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 don't, I hope this doesn't come across wrong, so I need to... <clears throat> need to be careful. I, I feel... How do I want to say this? I feel like we're going to experience as a church an upgrade of how much the, these, these messages that God's trying to give us is going to... How deeply it's going to come in and impact our hearts. And, and I, I believe that we're going to, I believe that God wants to deepen and cultivate the soil of our hearts to where the word is going to come in and, and there's going to be impacting fruit-bearing results that's better than, that's more effective than, than just good messages. Does that make sense? Because I, I really believe that God's trying to release Values and power and graces into hearts to see change happen. And, and I believe that we're going to start seeing like higher measures of fruit and responsiveness to what he's doing in us. And it would be beyond good messages, good ideas. You guys hear me? Now, I want to ask every one of us who's listening right now just to ask the Lord... Am I, am I allowing your word to come in and, and root in to where, where it's actually, it's affecting my heart at the deepest level that you have for me?